Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here today. Let's take our Bibles and go to uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And um, all right, well, let's uh, let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to um, be um, in its presence, to have it uh, minister to our hearts, and to have it peel back um, areas of our lives that um, we really need exposure in, but we resist. And so we thank you that your word is sure, that it is able to give us guidance for life, and that you're able to speak to the real issues that are in our lives. And so we pray today that you would open our hearts to what you want us to know, and that you would give us, um, Lord, self-evaluation abilities that would not come from ourselves, but would come from you. So convict us, we pray, over the way in which anger has um, wreaked havoc on our relationships. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about the subject of pride and suggested to you that pride essentially is contending with God for supremacy. And our argument last week was to help you see that pride by definition is this desire within me to compete with God over who's going to run my life. And pride sneaks into our lives in all sorts of ways. The, the problem with, with pride is it's so sneaky and it's so sly. It, it comes in our lives in ways that oftentimes we don't even realize. And, and just when you think you've got it down, oh, pride comes again. I heard an illustration of this this week by uh, someone in our church who sent me an email of what happened on their drive home after the morning worship service last week. Uh, they were traveling home and had a couple of kids in the back seat, and uh, the kids were arguing and fighting, and the, the, the conversation went something like this. No, you're wrong, I'm right. No, you're wrong, I'm right. No, you're wrong, I'm right. And mom said, hey, 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 all this arguing in the back seat sounds like there's some pride going on back there. Long silence, conviction setting in, you know. And then uh, the children say, you're right, mom, you're right, we're sorry. And then the mom said, now that's humility. Thank you, kids. That's humility. To which one of her children said, oh, I said it first. <laughs> you see, that's what happens, isn't it? I mean, just when you think you got it, oh, then pride sneaks back in. And we're in the middle of a, uh, a series on relationships trying to figure out the ways that things really destroy our relationships. That's why the title, How to Kill Relationships and Irritate People. And we saw last week that pride can surface in being argumentative, being defensive, being stubborn, being condescending, interrupting people. And today we're going to see that pride surfaces in the issue of anger. Pride kills relationships. Anger kills relationships. Pride irritates people. Anger irritates people. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some other subjects, not only anger this week. Next week, we're going to look at the subject of, if you want to kill relationships, then just live with unresolved conflict. If you want to irritate people, just say whatever you want. If you want to kill relationships, then just never be satisfied. So our aim is to try and help us understand how the, the Word of God applies in our lives in some real and very tangible ways. So today is going to be another very practical message. I, I hope that you can walk away today with some things you can really uh, apply very specifically today and in the coming weeks. 
The great thing about God's Word is that it applies in our lives. It takes the issues we face and it sheds light on it, brings to bear kind of how we are and how we need to change. And what's wonderful is that when the Word of God does that and we respond and repent and we embrace the change that God wants us to embrace through His Word, that our lives become radically transformed. You could actually be a different person today by submitting to what the Word of God says. And not only that, if you're a different person and you've had anger in your life before, your family will rejoice, your, your children will rejoice, your friends will rejoice, and you know what? God will rejoice. And there's also something else. When the Word of God becomes applicable and you really see that it works, there is a joy that comes in your heart. So you walk out of the service this morning, not only with anger gone, but joy in as you say, Lord, thank you that you're helping me to change. And by the way, when that joy comes and you believe with all your heart that the Bible really does work, There's a passion that's ignited in your heart to follow Jesus like you've never experienced before. And frankly, it's attractive to people in the world. When you change, people are attracted to that. Last week at the coffee talk tent, I met a new couple. And I said to them, how would you hear about College Park? And they said, well, you're not going to believe this story. She's a, a beautician. And she was cutting a teenager's hair from our church on a Monday morning. She said, how's your day going? She said, oh, great, this teenager said. Which says, why? The teenager said, well, on Sunday I was at my church and I had a great time of worship, heard the word, and she just talked on and on about what Sunday had meant to her. And this gal cutting her hair said, where do you go to church? And she said, College Park. And the next Sunday, this beautician and her husband were here. You see, igniting a passion to follow Jesus is not just a mission statement. It is a way of life. That means you take the word and you find out how to make it work in your life. And when that happens, it's the collision, beautifully so, of life application and joy. And when those two things collide, passion takes off. That's why this is so important. Because relationships are the real world in which we live. And if we can find the ways that God's word applies to our hearts, and we can be different, God could do wonderful and powerful things, both in us and through us. So this morning we're talking about anger. Why anger? Well, here's why. Because if I had to think of the one area in which pride surfaces more quickly than any others, it would be the issue of anger. You see, at the root of anger is pride. Or to put it another way, anger is a fruit of pride. So James chapter 1, verse 19. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, So he's telling his fellow believers that they need to know something. He gives them a command. And here it is. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, what's the context of this? James, if you'll remember, is writing a book about how faith needs to result in works. In other words, he wants you to show by your works that your faith is the real deal. And as James goes through his treatment of this subject, he invariably talks about the tongue or speech. And by the way, we're going to come back to James uh, later on in this series in the next couple weeks. You see, James wants you to understand that your life and how you live and what you believe need to match. And if they don't match, there's a problem. And so one of the things that James talks about is the subject of relationships. Because, after all, unless you live on a deserted island all by yourself, a communication uh, really wouldn't be a problem. 
But the minute that you start involving people and how you talk and the way in which you present yourself and how you communicate with those people, uh, that begins to surface whether or not you're the real deal. And in the context of that subject on speech and communication and the whole idea of what it means to have your faith work, James talks about listening, talking, and anger. What's his command? His command is very simple. He advocates more listening, less talking, and less anger. He advocates listen more, talk less, and less anger. So here's a principle that James is giving us that, look, real righteousness, if your faith is really going to work, then you ought to be the kind of person who's listening more than you're talking and who's got a grasp of this subject of anger. Now, the word anger in the Bible uh, has a couple different meanings. The word here, the Greek word, is the Greek word orge. It means two things. It can either mean a kind of explosive anger. You know the kind of anger I'm talking about when you know, you've ticked your dad off and you can see it in his face. And as a kid, you're like, run, he's going to blow. You know, he's like, get out of here because you know it's going to happen. It, it can mean that. It's this kind of vented, um, bold um, in your face kind of expression, but orgate can also mean something else. It can also mean a slow burn. You know, that kind of um, just resolved resentment. That kind of thing that you see somebody on your caller ID and you're like, John. You know, it's just, you know, John. You see them coming down the hallway and there's just like this growl inside of you, like, here they come. You know, so. How was church today? Good. You see Susie? No. You know, it's just kind of this, this, this thing. You just, it's there. That's, that's what orge can mean. Either or. There's also a Greek word called thumos, and that's always means rage or wrath. It's, it describes God's punishment. So you got two different ways that anger expresses itself. So let's look at these. The first one is vented anger. So you got yelling, screaming, slamming things around, cursing, telling somebody off, attacking verbally, name-calling, hitting. Somebody like, you just described my home with three-year-olds, right? That's vented anger. By the way, I read this week that uh, St. Augustine um, said that children, when they are babies, are not innocent in the sense that we, we normally think of them. They're innocent because they can't fully express their rage. St. Augustine said if he, they could hit you with a right hook, they would. <laughs> That's right. They're innocent because they can't hook you. Right? Remember the first time your kids hit you? That was a devastating moment, wasn't it? You realize their sinful, wicked hearts, if they could express it fully, would. So vented anger. The second kind of anger is the slow burn. And and typically in a marriage relationship, you have a husband or a wife who's a vented anger and the other one who's a slow burn. You usually have a a blower upper, so to speak, and a clamor upper. And, you know, it's pretty good because if you had two blower uppers, there'd be fireworks all the time. And if you had two clamor uppers, you'd never solve any problems. So typically you've got, not always, but usually got these two kind of people in the context of the home. But sometimes the slow burn, they think they're more righteous because they never express it outwardly. Um, they, they clam up, they're moody, they talk about being frustrated, being irritated, being disgusted, or they got that glare, you know, I'm not angry, I'm just staring you down, or here's my favorite one, I'm not saying a word, you know, like that doesn't say a word, right? So you got vented anger and you got slow burn, two different kinds of anger. What I want you to realize this morning is both are sinful and listen, both are destructive to relationships. Both are not the way God wants us to live and not the way that he wants us to interact with one another. But anger in and of itself is not just the problem. 
Anger, by definition, is an emotion, and how it expresses itself is also the problem. So here's the thing. Anger never exists solo. It always has something else. It has a a, a body language, a communication, a a wicked tongue, a wicked glare. It, it, It results in actions and attitudes. So anger is something that never exists alone. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. A lot to say about sinful communication. Let me give you a couple references and just read them to you. Listen to this one. Proverbs 12, 16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. So a fool lets everybody know he's annoyed. <sighs> right? <laughs> Something wrong? No, I'm just breathing. Right, right. So... A fool lets everyone know his annoyance. Listen to this one, Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 14, 29. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Ever tried to argue with somebody who won't argue? Man, it makes me angry. It just really ticks me off. You know, they won't argue, right? Come on! Let's get... And if a soft answer, it diminishes anger. Uh, listen to this one. Like a city, this is one we taught our kids when they were little. Like a city without walls is a man who lacks self-control. Remember taking little stick figurines and building a little castle and building a wall around them. Say, boys, here's what happens. When you lose self-control, the walls come down and the enemy invades. And then here's one. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, lest you learn his ways. Here, parents, newsflash. Your your kids learn how to handle things that make them frustrated by watching you. So if you slam doors, don't be surprised. If your kids are slamming doors. If you're raising your voice, don't be surprised if your kids are raising their voice. Some years ago when I was in seminary, I worked at a uh, bookstore. and um, It was a Christian bookstore. And uh, one time, this uh, mom came in with her child. And uh, she um, said no to him that he, he couldn't buy a particular thing that was at the checkout desk. And, oh, he just threw a hissy fit. He, it, it sounded like this. Why, Mom? How come I can't have it? And I was like, and then inside I was like, can I spank him for you? I mean, that was like really annoying me. He was like, he was like, come on, mom, why? And it was like, I mean, there's like, there's like normal whining, but this was like over the top, like just give me a break. And I was like, good grief, when I'm a parent, I'm never gonna have kids like that's why you know so. So I went about my work and thought, where in the world does this kid get that from? Well, about 15 minutes later, his dad comes in the store and um, he says to his wife, he says, hey, honey, we got to go. It's uh, we got about 15 minutes yet. And she's like, oh, honey, I just need about 10 more minutes. And he's like, honey, come on. I mean, come on. It's time to go. And I was like, whoa, look at this. Whoa. So, so you see, your kids learn from you. And, and that's what the proverb says. Now, anger is the kind of sin issue that expresses itself outwardly and inwardly, and it takes on a variety of forms. Let me give you some uh, additional sins that are rooted in anger. You ready? This gets a little personal. Frustration. We're going to go from kind of 
Low level to more outward. So frustration, being angry at whatever or whomever is blocking or hindering our plans. Okay? Now, you know the name Jonathan Edwards, right? Great mind, probably one of the greatest theologians our country has ever seen. One of his resolutions, he wrote like 25 or so resolutions on life, like things he wanted to, to do every day or be sure throughout his life he always accomplished. One of his resolutions was this. Never to be angry at an inanimate object. Okay? Okay, just think of that. His great mind, I resolve, I'm never going to be angry at an inanimate object. So I resolve, I will never be angry at a chair. Now, why is he saying that? Because what he's talking about is I don't want to be angry at something that's in my way. And it was a way for him to communicate his trust in God's sovereignty. That God put the chair in front of me for a reason, and I'm not going to be angry at inanimate objects. So frustration is this being angry at whatever is blocking or hindering our plans. It's a subtle form of anger. We'll talk about this in a little bit more. Next level, resentment. Some of you here have deep-seated resentment towards certain people. It means internalizing anger by holding on to previous wounds or mistreatment. doesn't mean that what happened to you was right. You could have been done wrong. But now you're resentful. Now you've taken that person captive on the inside of your heart, and there is just this bent towards them. I mean, you see their name on your phone. You look through a pictorial directory. You see him coming down, or someone new comes to the church. Like, hey, have you met Bob? And you're like... Yeah, I mean, inside of you, you're like, don't go there, man, don't go there. You know, you just you, you just have this deep-seated resentment. Some of you live in a marriage where you've got resentment towards each other. Some parents have resentment towards their children. You're just waiting for the next time that happens. Next level, bitterness. Bitterness is a feeling of ongoing animosity. So while resentment is just this kind of holding on to previous wounds, bitterness is even further expressed by somehow this internal angst towards people becomes now cataclysmic and more significant and all-encompassing. Bitterness is not getting over your resentment. And usually it's expressed in um, very polite terms. No, I'm not bitter. <laughs> Hostility. Next level. Now we have the outward expression of internal bitterness. We have things like denigrating or unhelpful speech or actions or attitudes that are are really reflecting our disdain for others. Hostility. This is where it's just like you are hostile, you are set against someone. You have it out for them. And then finally there's strife. It's just open conflict or turmoil between people. So anger is at the root of all of those. All of these are just an expression of our anger. And you know what the problem is with those verses we read in Proverbs? And the problem, what the problem is with things like resentment and bitterness? You know what the problem is with those things? None of that's like new news to you. None of you are like, oh, wow, I had no idea it was bad to be resentful. <laughs> wow, no idea. Whoa. None of you are like, wow, I didn't know it was bad to be angry. Oh, wow, I had no idea that it's bad to have open conflict. The problem isn't that we don't know these things are wrong. Here's the problem. The problem is they're just tolerated, justified, and far too common. While pride is sneaky because it slithers its way into our lives, the problem with anger is it is tolerated, welcomed, justified, explained, and in some cases, 
made to be righteous. So, the issue of anger is a serious one. You know, God takes this seriously. Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, verse 30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice here, listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. I mean, notice those words. You know what the word all means? It means all. It means no toleration. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all clamor and all slander be put away from you. And then verse 32, and be kind. That word can also be translated become kind, meaning do overt acts to express kindness. So the Bible doesn't advocate for you to take your issues and then run from them. No, the Bible calls you to go after those issues and to overcome them with kindness. Become kind, tender-hearted, to put yourself in their shoes, forgiving one another. And here's the key. As God in Christ forgave you, the reason that some of you have an issue with anger and the reason you cannot treat others with kindness or with a tender-hearted perspective is because you don't know what it's like to have been received, have been received grace from God through the person and work of Jesus. Your anger is simply a fruit that you are out of alignment in your relationship with God. And the only way to be in alignment with Him is by confessing your sins and acknowledging there's only one way for you to be right with your Creator. It's through Jesus. And then once you get that right, then it's possible to understand what real grace is and how to be able to give grace to others. So our struggle with anger is not because we know it's bad. That's not the problem. The problem with anger is something else comes into our life that we want more than doing what's right. So we know it's wrong, but for a few moments, we we know it's wrong to, to say mean words, to tell somebody off, to slam a door, to yell at the kids, to discipline in anger, to tell our boss what we really think. We, we, we know that's wrong, but for a few moments, all of the things that we know are wrong are eclipsed by something else. And that's the root of anger. So what is that thing? Verse 20 helps us. The reason why anger is wrong is this. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. Verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Now, the word that James is using here for righteousness does not mean the same thing that it means in other parts of the New Testament. For instance, the Apostle Paul uses the word righteousness to refer to legal righteousness, being justified, meaning when you received Christ and God declared you once and for all, past, present, and future sins, all forgiven, that's righteousness. That's not how James is talking about righteousness. He's talking about righteousness in terms of a practical, on the streets, in your life, A kind of obedience that is pleasing to God. He's talking about the kind of lifestyle that reflects a life that God looks at and says, Now, I really like that. He's talking about living for the glory of God. 
And what James is saying here is that anger does not produce a life that is pleasing to God. It produces actions and attitudes that God is not pleased with. And that's what happens. Although we know that this isn't pleasing to God, although we know that God wants us to live in a different way, for a few moments something else eclipses the desire to please God and it takes control. And so we say things we wish we didn't say, we do things we wish we didn't do, and then hours later we think back and go, how in the world could I? How how could I have said that? How could I have acted that way? Well, the reason we act that way is because of desire. So there are two immediate implications of this anger not producing God's righteousness. The first is this. It applies to people who in their self-righteous and deceived hearts justify their anger because they think it accomplishes a righteous goal. So they justify their anger because they think it accomplishes a righteous goal. In other words, look, your kids are arguing in the back of the car and you can't get to them safely. Your arms aren't long enough, right? And you've tried before, and they, they, they squirm over to the side. You can't get them. And so instead, you know that if you yell loud enough and scream at them, they will stop. And so you say, stop it, you can't! And you yell at them. And they, whoop. And you think, okay, good. Now they're obeying. Well, the problem is, your anger was sinful, and it created obedience, quote-unquote, but it doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. All you did is teach them that at a certain point, mom's going to scream, and that's when we need, that's when she's serious. It's nothing different than counting to three with your kids. Come on, Johnny. One, two, three. And by seven years old, he knows. You have to obey the first time, second time, the third time. Then it's serious, right? So he's learned that there's a certain point that he has to obey. And anger doesn't produce the kind of righteousness that God requires. A parent may discipline their child out of anger because they're so upset about what the child did and what they've done is ended up teaching their child that it's okay for a mom or a dad to act as God's representative in a sinful way. The second implication is this, in a more general sense, that anger simply doesn't produce the kind of behavior that is pleasing to God. That that anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness that God is looking to create in us. And so therefore, I always have to make a choice when I have these feelings of anger. I've got to decide which path I really want to go down. Am I going to live for my agenda or am I going to live for God's righteousness? And anger is a choice that I have to make between living for me or living for God. And I've got to decide, do I really love God's righteousness? Now, some of you are thinking, well, Mark, wait a minute. Isn't there such a thing as a righteous anger? And that's a good question. And my answer would be, certainly there is. But let me give you one caution. I would say that, I don't know what percentage, 90, 95, 98% of the time, our anger is not righteous anger. So I just want to caution you, because most of the passages in the Bible, a far majority of them, with a section of maybe one or two, and then you have the example of Jesus, and that's true, but you're not Jesus, just newsflash. And, but the fact is that, that righteous anger, I think, is a rare thing, and I want you to be really careful, because I hear a lot of people justify their sinful, wicked hearts under some cloak of self-righteousness with this righteous anger thing. So just be really careful. Now that said, here's a couple things that I just want to give you about righteous anger. Here's three little tests that you could use. The first one is this, are you angry about the right issue? Meaning, it's not about, 
um, some personal preference of yours, not because of something you desire or you think, but the right issue. It's really about a sin defined by the Word of God. This is truly something that God says is wrong. The problem is with us 21st century evangelical Christians is we get angry about the wrong stuff and we don't get angry about the right stuff. The second thing is this. Not only the right issue, but also the right focus. Righteous anger is focused on God and His kingdom. It's focused on vindicating Him about His righteousness, where sinful anger is focused about on me. It's about my rights and how I was feeling and about what I think and, and advancing me. So righteous anger focuses on the right thing. So right issue, right focus, and finally right expression. Meaning that righteous anger is in control. It's a godly resolve to do what's right, even though you're scared. Some guy came whipping by our house a few nights ago uh, in our neighborhood, driving about, and I'm not exaggerating, 60 miles an hour in our 25-mile-an-hour zone, and I was indignant. <laughs> I was not happy. and um, But I didn't say anything. My wife said, are you going to do anything about that? I said, I am. And uh, so I got in my car. I got in my car and I felt like putting my, uh, you know, uh, little light on top of my, so I drove down trying to find out where he was and I saw him get out of his car and, um, and you know, he started walking to his house and his teenage guy, he's probably just goofing around, but in fact, the man is going 60 miles an hour, came by another one, went down another street, same speed. And so I went up to him, I said, excuse me, uh, sir. And he said, yeah. And I said, um, I've taken a picture of your license plate, and I'm going to ask you to not go that fast in our neighborhood again. And if you do, I'm going to call the police. He said, okay. I got back in the car. I sat down. My heart's going, <laughs> right? So, so what is righteous anger? Righteous anger is a controlled expression where you do what's right, even though you're a little nervous and scared about it. But to be able to fly off a handle and be sinful, that, that's not righteous anger. It's being indignant about the reality of what's happened without having it be about you, having it become about you, or somehow losing control. So, when sinful anger takes place, the right focus, the right issue, the right expression now becomes about me. So, when we begin to feel feelings of anger, we have to ask ourselves the question, is this really pleasing to God is this really important to him, or is my anger just an expression of my battle for supremacy with God? Because sinful anger, listen, manifests itself when my desires and God's designs clash. Sinful anger happens when my desires and God's designs collide. When you came in this morning, you should have received a handout from uh, Paul Tripp's book, about how our desires become idols that lead to conflict with other people. And I want you to see, the whole reason we handed this out, is at the bottom, underneath punishment, disappointment, expectation, need, and demand, is this desire thing. That there are desires that you and I have that we want that then result in demands. I must have, and then I need, and ex- expectations on people, therefore you should, which express itself in disappointment. Why didn't you? And the result is, now I will. And all the way through there, there's elevation and potential for feelings of anger all of that to say that at the bottom of the bottom of anger is this contention with god over who is going to run your life 
What you have to understand is that anger doesn't just happen. It's my desires collide with God's design, and in that moment, I have to ask myself, who really is in control? The problem is desire. So when you're angry, I want you to understand that you have to simply stop and ask yourself some questions. So there's three questions that I ask myself when I have feelings of anger. When I'm getting frustrated on the inside or I feel like, boy, there's something welling up within me, here's three things that I ask myself really quickly. Number one is this, why am I angry? It seems like an obvious question, doesn't it? Why am I angry? But the problem is, is that anger doesn't like to be asked questions. <laughs> it doesn't, your anger is an emotion. And so asking yourself, why am I angry? And I've said this to myself, Mark, why are you angry? So for instance, it might be, I'm angry because I tripped over my kid's shoes in the middle of the floor again. This morning I went to go get a cup of coffee. It's 5.15 in the morning, and I trip over these huge shoes in the middle of the, of the hallway. And, and, and immediately I'm like, ugh, right? So why am I angry? I'm, I'm angry because there are shoes in my way. Now sometimes just by saying that, it's like, <laughs> get over it, right? Just get over it. What's the big deal? So why am I angry? Identify what's going on that's made me angry. The second thing is this. What do I want? Okay, back to the shoes. So if that doesn't work, and I'm like, okay, so why am I angry? I'm angry because there are shoes in the hallway. Again, what do I want? I want to walk to a cup of coffee without being hindered by shoes. That's what I want. Or here's another illustration. Our first dog knew how to get out of the way. Our second dog is clueless about personal space. She just doesn't get it. When we're walking down the stairs, she's like, boom, you know, and she's like 70 pounds, and she'll knock my knees, you know, and I'm like, Libby, get out of the way. And every once in a while, I'll give her a little bit of encouragement to get out of the way, you know, and like, get out of the way. And, and like, you know what I want? I want to be able to walk down the stairs unhindered. Do, 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 do. That's what I want to do. So, you know, walk down the stairs without being assaulted by my domesticated animal. I just want to be able to be walked to a cup of coffee and not... And suddenly, you start to see how me-centered those things are. What do I... What am I angry about? What do I want? What do I desire? And here's the third thing. This is one that gets important and deep. What do I love? You see, when when anger comes... I just want to be listened to. I just want to be able to talk without being interrupted. I just want people to agree with me. I just want people to understand what I'm saying. And and rather than stopping and thinking, we just get more angry and more angry and more angry. And at that moment, it comes down to a question of what do you love? Meaning, do I really love God's righteousness? Or do I just want, want what I want? You realize that your anger is an attempt to try and just get whatever you want at all costs. And at that moment, you're going to have to decide, what do I really love? Do I love God and His righteousness and doing things His way? Or do I just want what I want and want it now? Listen, at the end of the day, you know what anger really is? Anger is an expression of the idols of our hearts. And the problem with anger is that it exposes what we really love. We just want to walk to a cup of coffee without being stumbled stumbled across shoes. I want to walk down the stairs without my dumb dog getting in my way. I just want people to listen to me, agree with me, think I'm great. I just want my kids to obey all the time. My wife to completely understand me. I just want my car to never break down. I just want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. That's the problem with anger. It's all about what we want. 
And if you're not careful, it'll throw your moorings off. When we lived in uh, Michigan, we built our own home, and um, on the stairwell that went up to the second story, um, the contractors did something wrong with the drywall, and over time, as the house settled, the seams between the pieces of drywall began to buckle. So it wasn't just that they, the, the, the holes or the screws popped, it was that the seam was buckling, so you could see this, like, this, this blister underneath the wall. And it really was didn't look very attractive, and it was rather irritating to me that this was the problem. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to fix this. And uh, so I got some uh, drywall mud from the uh, home improvement store and bought a big trowel. And, and you know, I had been around when those guys in the drywall company were putting this stuff up, and that, that's as easy as you can imagine. I saw those guys doing that, and I was like, yeah, it's like, what are we paying these guys for? I could do that, you know, that's no sweat. And uh, so I started putting drywall up, and I'm going around and going around, and the, the, not enough, so I put more on there, more on there, and... And, and, and the more I worked, the worse it got. The more drywall I put on. And by the time I'm, I'm done, you can see the lines. There, it's got big old globs all over it. And, and I had budgeted, you know, maybe about, about, you know, three or four hours to do this. It was taking me all day. And my frustration level is getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And finally, I just had it. I walked out in the garage to go get a tool. And um, my kids came out and asked me some annoying question about something that didn't matter. And, and, uh, and I was trying to... Figure this out, and uh, there's a bucket right by the door going back into the house, and I had this trowel in my hand, and as I'm walking up to the door, I take that trowel, and I just chuck it as hard as I can into the bucket. You're like, you've never done anything like that, right? So I, I just chucked it in that bucket, and it's a bang! And just then my wife opened the door, you know? And I had this, like, four-year-old feeling of, like, busted, you know, kind of a thing. And she looked at the trowel, looked at me, and I'm just, you know, seething with frustration. And then I'll never forget what she did. She, she came over and she grabbed my hands. She looked at me and she said, Honey, I just want to remind you, it's just drywall. Like, just drywall? What are we talking about? I was like so frustrated. It's like, it's just drywall. And, you know, it, and it was a good reminder. It's just drywall. And I can't tell you how many times since that happened, that I've reminded my heart, Mark, it's just drywall. It's, it's just, it doesn't matter. The question is, what do I really love? You see, the problem with anger is a conflict between my desires and God's designs, and the question becomes at that moment, what do I really love and serve? So, my desires colliding with God's designs surface The idols of my heart. So finally then, how do we deal with anger when it's specifically towards people? What do you do when there's somebody in your life that you're really wrestling with and you've had an ongoing situation as it relates to being angry with them? Here's the first thing. Number one, there's five practical things. Number one, I want you to recognize that your anger is usually sinful. I want you to realize that too often our biggest problem to dealing with anger is the way in which we justify it, tolerate it, and make it feel welcome in our lives. We need to say, you know what? We're going to stop justifying it. We're going to stop um, giving excuses for it. We're going to stop thinking, well, I'm a lot better than my parents were. We need to decide once and for all, you know what? This is sinful and it just has to stop. The second thing is to confess your sinful anger. You know, at the root of anger is pride. At the root of it is this desire to be made much of. 
And there's nothing like confession to sever that root of pride. In fact, in a little bit, we're going to um, serve the Lord's table. And um, the, we'll have the Lord's table being served in kind of a regular way. It'll be passed in the aisles. But we're also going to serve it a little differently this morning. There'll be three elders up here at the front and their w- wives with uh, a communion plate. And um, while we're serving the, the rest of the congregation, there's some of you this morning who feel the weight of conviction that your anger really is sinful. And the best thing that you could do would be able to come up and receive the Lord's table today and say to that elder and his wife, anger has a hold in my life. And, and give a specific example of what God has addressed and spoken to you about. And then you're going to come and just kneel here and receive it with the rest of us. But for you, the action point today to sever this thing is to acknowledge, look, I've got an issue. I've got something that I need to deal with, and I want to confess it before I come to this table. So recognize that your anger is sinful. Secondly, confess your sinful anger. Third, learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. Learn to be the kind of person that believes that God knows what he's doing. He's given you your spouse to teach you things. He's given you your children so to help form you into the likeness of Christ. That at the end of the day, he's even given you drywall mud so you can be sanctified. He's put all that into your life for the purpose of forming and framing you into Christ. And the reason why Edwards had that commitment, that resolution, to not get mad at any inanimate object, was he believed that God was sovereign enough to put things in his path. Yes, even size 12 flip-flops in the middle of the hallway, because... God knows that we need to be sanctified. And just to simply trust, Lord, apparently you know and believe that I need this in my life in order to make me more dependent on you. That people who are angry do not trust in God's sovereignty. Fourth is to choose to love. To be able to say, look, I'm going to make a choice to love this person. Not just feel feelings of love, but to actually become kind, to become tender-hearted, to do, to do outward acts of kindness and graciousness. 1 Peter 4.8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. It means that you replace your feelings of anger with love. That you overcome bitterness by becoming kind, by becoming tender-hearted. That you pray, God, give me a love for this person. Give me a love for my child. Give me a love for my spouse. Give me a love for my parents. Give me a love for this person that you put into my life. I choose under your authority to love them and not be angry. And finally, to develop a forgiving heart. They have the kind of hearts that are ready to forgive somebody should they ask our forgiveness. To be prepared to treat them graciously and kindly. To be able to see them through a lens of grace that we would treat people in a way that they don't deserve because we've been treated in a way that we don't deserve. And when those feelings come of, I don't deserve this, remind yourself what you did deserve and what you received. So listen, anger kills relationships. It has a devastating effect. It affects marriage. It affects dating relationships. It affects relationships between brothers and sisters. It affects relationships between people in the church. When your desires become preeminent, you become a very difficult person to live with. When desires become at the forefront of your life, relationships are going to suffer. And they're not going to honor and glorify Christ like they could.
So let me ask you, do people have to walk around eggshells with you? Do you have any idea what your countenance communicates? Are you a hard person to have a discussion with? Do you continually interrupt people? Can you discuss difficult subjects without it becoming overly emotional? Do you have a list of grievances against certain people? Are you just the kind of person that's got a short fuse? Are you known as being easily angered? And let me ask you this. Are your kids beginning to sound like you? See, the problem is that anger is one of the most obvious expressions of a proud heart. It surfaces when our desires collide with God's design. And when that happens, it provides an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I trust you. I want your way in my life. I want your righteousness. I don't want my way. And you have designed this to surface the reality of which I will choose. And I choose your righteousness. See, if we're going to have the kind of relationships that honor Jesus in the world, if we're going to have the kind of relationships that work and marriages that that bring glory to Christ and relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ, if that's going to happen, then we've got to get two things straight. The first is that God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. He resists those who are proud, but He gives grace to those who realize their need of Him. And the second thing is to understand that the anger of man does not accomplish, does not produce, does not manufacture, does not result in the righteousness that God requires. And so at the end of the day, there is a choice for angry people. What do you really want? Do you want your way and your desires and your needs? needs or do you want God's righteousness and everything that goes along with what it means to love him and serve him and trust him and that's the choice every time that we face when it comes to anger and that's the choice that you face today what do you want your way or God's way your way or God's righteousness You'll never be free from anger unless you say continually, Lord, I want your way. So, Father, we pray now that you would use our time around your Lord's table, on the Lord's table to help us to see the reality of what is inside of our souls. I pray, Father, for angry-hearted men and women today who would recognize and confess the multiple ways that this sin affects us. It happens so quickly. I pray, Father, you give us courage today to deal honestly, intimately, personally with this issue. Would you let us, Lord, declare a a kind of dividing line, a line in the sand today. God, we're tired of expressing our own desires and instead it's time to embrace your righteousness. Lord, I pray for spouses who live with an angry spouse whose hearts just break today over this content, wishing that somehow you could work a miracle. I pray that you would do so today. I pray, Father, that you'd help help hard-hearted, angry men and women to see that it's not just an issue of emotion. It's an issue of worship. And so, Father, we pray now that you would 
move among us, seal what we've heard, and use these elements, Lord, as a token, an emblem, an illustration of what it means for us to live in light of your grace. Thank you for this illustration of your love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.